0: Chapter 22 of A Woman of Yesterday This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Woman of Yesterday by Carolyn Atwater Mason Chapter 22 One by one thou dost gather the scattered families out of the earthly light into the heavenly glory, from the distractions and strife and weariness of time to the peace of eternity. We thank thee for the labors and the joys of these mortal years. We thank thee for a deep sense of the mysteries that lie beyond our dust. Rufus Ellis By thy rod and thy staff comfort us. Christina Rossetti Two days later, in response to a note from Pierce Everett, Anna went to the studio. He wrote that John Gregory had passed through Fulham and had left the picture, in which she might still feel some lingering interest anna left keith and his mother diligently occupied in their daily task of arranging and copying keith's european letters and journals interspersing them with careful and copious notes from baedeker from this laborious undertaking which absorbed mother and son in mutual and sympathetic devotion anna was self-excluded simply because she found the letters of merely passing interest but not of marked or lasting value and concern madame burgess confessed that she could think of no occupation more graceful or becoming a young wife than this of putting in permanent form the beautiful and instructive correspondence of her beloved husband and she found a new cause for disapproval in anna's indifference to the work in her own heart anna hid a great protest against the substitution of puerile and unproductive work like this for the serious altruistic endeavour to which she still felt that she and keith were both inwardly pledged But this was an old issue, and one, indeed, today almost forgotten before her passionate grief concerning Mallie, buried yesterday, and the promise to her which might not be fulfilled. The pitiful cry of Mallie's baby seemed to sound continually in her ears. But another, even deeper consciousness was that of the condemnation, brief, sharp, conclusive of herself, by John Gregory she believed now that his judgment of her and of the line along which she was developing was in a measure just, but what then it had suddenly become definitely declared in anna's thought with no further shading or disguise that a life of worldly ease of self and sense pleasing of fashionable charity and conventional religion and of intellectual stagnation was the only life which could be lived in harmony with the spirit of her home her soul lay that day in the calm which often falls upon strong natures when profound passions and powers are gathering in upheaval just below the surface to conform or to revolt or to lead the wretched life of spiritual discord which seeks to avoid alike conformity and freedom were the hard alternatives before anna as she thought that day pierce everett meeting her at the door of his studio was startled by the pallor and sadness of her face like that of her earlier years but forbore to question her after a few moments anna said simply without turning to everett her eyes still in the picture did i once look like that yes mr gregory said no one could paint this from me now anna said slowly as if to herself not knowing that tears were falling down her cheeks you are older that is all said everett gently no that is not all i have lost something which i had then "'We all lose something with our child soul, Miss Burgess,' cried Everett earnestly. "'But you have gained more than you have lost. John Gregory was not fair to you to leave you with a word like that. You were a child then, now you are a woman. That face in my picture is not a face of Madonna, yet. It did not seek to be, but we do not blame it for that. Should we blame the Mater de la Rosa that she no longer has the face of a child?' "'Thank you,' Anna said humbly. And held out her hand, which the young man caught in his and held with reverence. She left the studio hastily, not daring to say more. A childless mother of sorrows, the very emptiness of her grief, since no sweet substitution of motherhood could be granted her, made it the more intolerable. Instinctively, she went from the Everett's straight across the city to the unfashionable new quarter and to the nichols's home. She found Molly's baby properly cared for, but coldly by hired and unloving hands. Took it into her own arms with yearning motherliness and cried over it, easing her heart and murmuring the tender nonsense, the artless art which mothers always know but seldom women who have not known motherhood. Mr. Nichols came in and she told him, leaving the baby that she might surely control herself, that on account of Madame Burgess's feeble health it had been found impossible for her to carry out Mallie's wish and her own. The disappointment of the poor fellow with his almost impossible burden and scanty income. Was evident but he railed well and showed a simple dignity in the matter which made anna like him even better than she had before i shall watch over the baby and you may depend and come as often as i can she said in leaving he thanked her and she made him promise to send for her without delay or hesitation if there were illness among the children or other emergency and so came away the frail little life unwarmed and unwelcomed by the love which had been bestowed on the other children seemed to feel itself in an alien air and failed from week to week anna spent every moment she could with the child and sought to cherish and shield the tiny flickering flame of life but in vain the baby lingered for a month and then on a bleak march evening anna was sent for to speed its spirit back into the unknown from which it had scarcely emerged she sat all night with the child upon her knees the young father asleep in the leaden sleep of unutterable weariness on a sofa in the room adjoining It is not given to a man to know the absolute annihilation of the body by love which makes the endurance of long night watches and the supreme skill in nursing the prerogative of woman. The nurse came and went at decent intervals with offers of help and of food, but Anna quietly declined both. She knew that she was about to partake of the sacrament of death, and she wished to receive it fasting, and, if it might be, alone. She knew that she only on earth loved the little child and longed to keep it. And she meant that it should die in loving arms if they had been denied it for living in the slow hours which were yet too swift as she bent over the small pinched face brooding tenderly over the strange perfection of this miniature of humanity, the delicately pencilled eyebrows, the fine moulding of the forehead, the exquisite ear with soft, fair hair curling about it, the little flower-like hands. Anna wondered as she had never had thought to wonder before at the wastefulness of nature. All this exquisite organism made perfect by months of silent upbuilding, a life of full strength paid for its faint breath, and then, this too cut off before the dawn of consciousness, harder to bear was the thought, which would not leave her, that if she could have taken the child for her own, its life could have been saved. A photograph of Mallie on the bedroom wall in her wedding gown looked down upon her through the yellow gloom of the night lamp, and the eyes seemed to Anna full of sad upbraiding. In bitterness of soul, she groaned aloud. Oh, Mallie, Mally, I wanted to keep your baby, but they would not let me. He is going back to you, dear. Oh, if I knew that you were glad, that you forgive me. At the sound of her voice, the child on her knees, which had been asleep or in a stupor, opened its eyes and lifted them to hers. They were large blue eyes like Mallie's, and for a moment their look was fixed upon her own, a clear, direct look. And with a thrill of awe, Anna felt a conscious look. The instant of that mutual glance, with all of mystery, of joy, and of wonder which it held, passed. The waxen whiteness of the lids fell again. But as it passed, a sense of great peace fell upon Anna's spirit. The last look of that newborn soul, pure and undefiled, had searched her heart, had found her love, had shed the glory of its passing into her bruised and cabined spirit. "'Now go, little child. Go to God and be at rest. We have known each other, and you are mine after all,' she whispered fondly, her tears falling like spring rains upon white blossoms. The dawn light came into the room, dimming the lamp light, with which it could not blend. A tremor passed through the tiny frame, the breath fluttered once or twice upon the lips, and the baby died. Anna had called the father, and he stood by, watching in heavy oppression.' Quietly, with the great submission of spirit which death brings, Anna washed and dressed the little body, putting on the garments of fairy-like texture and proportion which she had seen Mally making with warm, dexterous fingers a few weeks before. Then, having prayed, she left the place and walked home alone through the silent streets, with the consecration of the hour full upon her. End of chapter 22